uh, please uh, remember Ethan's family. They had their baby yesterday, but uh, uh, he's still in ICU, I believe, or NICU. So you all remember him. He's still going to be, the little one is going to be there for some days. Let's pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening for your love and your mercy. Thankful for the grace that you have given us that enables us to come and assemble ourselves to study a portion of your word. We are aware that the human man is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual or even concentrating on it apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in Exodus 16, verses starting through 36. Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 through 36. And I'm going to be reading from verses 31 through 36. He reads, in the 1984 edition of NIV, The people of Israel call the bread manna. It was, like, it was white like a coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. So they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Now recall that the primary uh, message of the major section of Exodus 16 uh, verse 1 through chapter 17 verse 7 is be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders since doing so is the same as grumbling against God. So far in our study, we have been using the phrase strange substance to describe what the Lord provided Israel for their food while in the desert. Now we did so because the name of the strange substance that Israel had uh, given it had not yet been revealed. But in this passage that we are about to consider, the name given to the strange substance is then revealed. But that is not all. We have uh, the description of the strange substance as well as the Lord's instruction regarding the preservation of that strange substance for subsequent generation of Israel. Now this section contains then a reminder 
of the lesson that we expanded previously in verses 23 through 26, which is the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether the action is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Now the first thing we learn in this section, as we have indicated, is really the name of the strange substance that was given to it by the Israelites. Hence we read in the first sentence of Exodus 16 verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. Now the word bread here does not appear in the Hebrew text, but is supplied by our English version since the Hebrew literally reads something like this. And the house of Israel called its name manna. The house of Israel called its name manna. Now our English versions incited, uh, incited the word bread because of the relative pronoun is in the literal translation that I gave you. Uh, and that refers to the Hebrew word lachem that was mentioned in verse 29 of, us, of this Exodus 16. Now we have previously argued that the Hebrew word although may mean bread, but that is not a correct meaning when dealing with what the Lord provided for Israel. We have uh, previously interpreted that the strange substance the Lord provided Israel for food in the desert should be described either as special grain for bread or special grain for food. Now we provided four reasons for this interpretation that I need to review. The argument we gave with additional argument that is really based on the passage that we are studying. First, the meaning bread, although a common translation of our Hebrew word creates the impression that the Lord rained bread in loaves from heaven. But that was not the case. The grain the Lord sent from heaven is certainly different from any grain the uh, people would have known. So it is necessary to describe this grain uh, as one from heaven, as simply a special grain. That's the best way we can describe it up to this point. Now second, the thing the Lord ran down from heaven to Israel, that later Israel called manna, can be prepared in at least two ways. It can be baked or cooked. As we may gather from this passage we are studying Exodus chapter 16, look at verse 23. It reads, He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow, is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So based on that, 
we were arguing that the word could not mean bread here. Third, the psalmist described the manner the Lord provided Israel uh, from heaven as grain of heaven. As we read in Psalms chapter 78 verse 24. Psalm chapter 28 verse Psalm 78 verse 24 He reads He rained down manna from, uh, for the people to eat He gave them look at that phrase the grain of Heaven. That's what was written down. So it called grain of heaven. So it couldn't be translated bread. Fourth, our Hebrew word that is translated bread may also mean grain, as that which is used for making bread. As we read in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 28. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 28 verse 28 It is Grain must be ground to make bread So one does not go on Threshing it forever. Though he drives the wheels of his threshing cart over it, his horses do not grind it. Now, the sentence grain must be ground to make bread is more literally grain is crushed fine. So, here, although we do have the word uh, bread, it really means grain, which is crushed fine. Fifth, which is of course related to the first, is that if the substance the Lord provided Israel was bread as we know it today, then Israel would not have given it the name described in the passage of Exodus 16 verse 31 that we are about to study. They wouldn't say, call it manna. So the point is that what Israel gave a name is simply the special grain for bread or the special grain for food. The name Israel gave to this special grain that the Lord provided them is manna. Now that word manna is translated really from a Hebrew word man that we have previously encountered in verse 5 of this 16th chapter, where the word is used with a pronoun it, so that the Hebrew expression used in that uh, passage reads something like man who, man who, which is just like man, M A N, although we have to put something in front, on top of it to show it's a different kind of A. And who? H-U. 
same thing. Anyway, that's, that's a phrase man who eventually became abbreviated to man. Just man. And they lost the, the who. And it became man that uh, as well as not really as a, so not a Hebrew word per se, but that's the, the word they gave, and that means what? In other words, say, what? In really sense, is what is this? That's really the name they gave. What? What is this? This what is this that they're eating? Anyway, we have indicated though that the Hebrew word we're considering appears 14 times in the Hebrew text, but 13 of these, it has the meaning manna. That is, that the supernatural food then, that God gave the Israelites in the wilderness. It is this name that Israel then used to describe the special grain for food that the Lord gave them in the desert, as again in that sentence of verse uh, 31, again it reads, the people of Israel call the bread manna, or literally the Hebrew reads, and the house of Israel call its name manna. Now manna that was given to Israel is really a special creation of God for his people that they can only be described by comparison to something already familiar with the Israelites. The first comparison concerns his color. His color. As in the sentence of Exodus 16 verse 31. Again, look at what it says. It was white like coriander seed. Now the translation of the NIV may be misleading or lead to an interpretation that may cause a problem in comparison with the coriander seed. Now see the Hebrew is literally this way. This is where the instead of saying it was quite like coriander seed, this is what it is. It was like Coriander seed. White. Now let me read that again. It was like coriander seed. White. That's the way it is literally. So the literal translation indicates that it is not the color of manna that is compared to the coriander seed. Instead, it is more likely that the comparison of the manna to the coriander seed concerns the shape and the size of the manna. Not the color. Because that causes some problem. You know, many times people read the Bible and they say, I mean English fashion, of course, they say, oh, it's full of contradictions. And this is one of them. Anyone who knows what a coriander seed looks like will say, oh, that's a contradiction because it says white. Coriander seed is not white, as we're going to see anyway. Anyway, the the expression coriander seed is translated from a Hebrew word, God. God. That that has two general meanings. 
the word may mean good fortune. That is what brings about joyful state. As the word is used in the list of Leah, before naming the son uh, through Jacob and her maid Zilpah, as we read in Genesis chapter 30, verse 11. One of the sons of Jacob, or one of the tribes of of Israel. Genesis 30, verse 11. Genesis chapter 30, verse 11. It is, then Leah said, what good fortune. So, she named him God. That's the same Hebrew word translated coriander seed. God. So, another meaning of the Hebrew word is simply coriander. Coriander. That is a small herbal plant that actually produces small brown seeds. See, coriander seed is brown looking. And that's why that translation can cause some problem. Now we are told though that the seeds are globular. And when, when dry, they are pleasant to the taste and smell. And encrusted with some kind of sugar. That's really looks like. So it is really grayish, more grayish in color. The coriander seed. Now manna is described as white in color because of the phrase that we have in the NIV. It says, white like coriander seed. Now this description causes them some problem. Since manna is described differently in Numbers chapter 11, verse 7. Now, one of the things that we do, I mean, I know sometimes it's, uh, some of us get lost in some of this because we're not concentrating for one thing. Is this. We are moving closer and closer, in my judgment, to the time where everything in the Bible will be disputed. People are coming closer and closer into disputing everything in the Bible. Not accepting its authority, of course. And so, that means that what they will do is, uh, they come, those, there are those already doing that, they come through the Bible to find what they call inconsistency or contradictions, which they then say, it can't come from God. Well, here is one of those passages, if we are not careful with Exodus 16, verse 31, and this passage. So at least you know, one of the things that you can tell people, you may not be able to get all this together. Say, I, all I know is, if it is properly explained, there is no contradiction. That much you can say. Anyway, it is, Numbers chapter 11, verse 7 reads, The manner was like coriander seed 
and looked like raisin. Notice what I say, looked like raisin. Now the problem with the description in Numbers is that phrase looked like raisin. Now literally, the Hebrew reads, this is one of those things that uh, uh, once the translators they take the Hebrew, try to make it so it makes sense to the English reader. <laughs> but this is what the Hebrew actually reads. Or instead of saying, you know, look like resin, this is what it's, it, it reads in the Hebrews. It says, each eye was like the eye of Bedola. Bedola. Each eye was like the eye of Bedola. Now, some take the position that it is the color of the manna that, was, that is likened here to racing. Now, however, that is not clear since the word for eye, the Hebrew word for eye, may mean appearance. It can mean texture or color. These are possible meaning of the Hebrew word uh, that is translated eye. In other words, what the eye design uh, the sons so that it is possible that it's not the color that is a concern of Numbers 11 verse 7. It's possible. But simply its texture or its appearance or its size. Now that aside, because the seeds of the Coriander plant are gray or light brown. There's no doubt as to the accuracy of the identification of the color of manna with the coriander seed. Of course, as we have already uh, indicated, the translation of the NIV certainly adds to the problem since the literal translation does not compare the color of manna to the coriander seed. does not do that. Now, so if we follow the literal translation, we can then assert that it is manna that is white. Not the coriander seed, manna that is white. And so, its comparison to coriander seed is, as we have already indicated, related to the size and the shape of the manna. The size and the shape. Now that, that notwithstanding, the use of the word white to describe the color of manna is supported by the fact that the manna is first compared to frost-like flakes in Exodus 16 verse 19. I mean verse 14. Exodus 16 that we're starting. Look at verse 14. It reads, When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost was on the ground, I mean frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Now, frost has what we call white in color, so to say. Well, we should really, of course, recognize that the word white, uh, translated from a Hebrew word, Leban, 
That means why though? However, it is important that we should recognize white as being of achromatic color of maximum lightness, having little or no hue uh, owing to reflection of light all incident on it. In other words, when all the light it reflects everything, we say more or less it could be uh, what we describe as white, so to say. Doesn't there should be no problem accepting the description of manna as being white, although the translation of the NIV gives a wrong impression of the color of manna, since it compares it to the coriander seed that is grayish in color. If we just go by the literal translation, that's no problem because it doesn't, it doesn't compare it to the coriander seed. It just says, like coriander seed, white. So the white goes with the uh, manna itself. So that's, we know, it is white looking. That is not something gray as coriander seed will suggest. So that's the first thing that Moses described here in terms of this manna, because there's nothing like it. It has never been on this planet. Never after that, it never existed. So that's nothing to compare with except to make a comparison to the things they already know. Now the next description of manna has to do with its, its sweet taste. As we read in what we're studying, Exodus 16 verse 31. Look at what it says. And tasted like wafers made with honey. It's sweet taste. Now the word tasted of the NIV is translated from a Hebrew noun that figuratively means judgment, discretion, or discernment. Now it is in the sense of good judgment that the Hebrew word is used in David's blessing of Abigail for keeping him from harming her husband as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 33. 1 Samuel Chapter 25, verse 33. This Abigail, of course, is one that eventually became David's uh, wife. And those are things that tell you, you just never know what God is working out in a person's life. For Samuel, chapter 25, verse 33 reads, May you be blessed for your good judgment. That good judgment is coming really from the word, Hebrew word, translate, tested. Good judgment, and for keeping me from bloodshed this day, and from avenging myself with my own hands. Now, literally, the Hebrew word then uh, means taste, all right, in the sense of the sensation of flavor as experienced through a taste board that's on the tongue, so to say. So it is in this sense then 
that the word is used with manna the Lord provided Israel. The taste that he has. Now the flavor of the manna is compared to wafers with honey. As in the verbal phrase of the NIV, made with honey. Literally, the Hebrew reads this way, a wafer with honey. That's all the Hebrew says, a wafer with honey. Now the word wafers here of the NIV is translated from a Hebrew word that appears only here in the Hebrew scripture. So that, so it means something like flat pastry. Flat pastry. Or a flat cake. Well then, wafer. Now the verbal phrase, made with honey, implies that the wafer that the manna is compared to is one in which honey was mixed into the flour before it is baked. Now this is possible if what is meant is something like cookies or theme cakes as some suggest to be the meaning because it only appears one place in the, in the uh, Hebrew Bible. But the Hebrew simply says that the wafer has honey. But it does not tell us whether it is honey that people spread over their wafers before they eat it or the honey that was mixed into the dough before it was baked. That notwithstanding, the intent of the comparison to wafer with honey is simply to give the impression that it has a sweet flavor or taste. Now, although there, before I get even there, one of the things that you notice is we're getting a description of taste. Except for old age, because as we recall from our studies in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, except for old age, you want to taste, you have to taste what you eat. Now, sometimes when people really get old, if we don't have much of a taste, they just eat, they just need to eat. They don't really have taste. But here is the thing that I want you to see it. Here the food is described as having a sweet taste to it. So it tells me that, sure, God wants you, whatever you eat, to be tasty. I don't care how, you know, whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with eating tasty food. But that doesn't mean do some other things that will harm your body anyway, but just it's good to, that your food is tasty. Because if God gave them something tasty, it means that we also should enjoy something that's tasty, well done, and well cooked, and so forth. Now, there is a, really another uncertainty with the phrase where it says, a wafer with honey. That's one uncertainty. And it is really without word honey. Honey. Now the word honey is translated from a Hebrew word that may refer to the sweet visit product of bees. As that is clearly the meaning of the word in the ordeal that involves Samson uh, killing a lion and then eating the honey from his carcass sometimes later according to Judges. Chapter 14, verse 8. 
Judges, chapter 14, verse 8. Judges, chapter 14, verse 8. It reads, Sometime later, when he, that Samson, went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey. Now, so, our Hebrew word definitely means honey. Another meaning of the Hebrew word is sweet syrup. Made from dates or from grapes. So, it is uncertain whether the use of honey refers to the product of bees or sweet syrup. Because... The Hebrew word can mean one of those two minutes. Can have one of those two minutes. Now perhaps though, since honey is used for uh, something sweet and pleasant, it is probably the intent of the comparison of the taste of manna to honey is simply to say that it's quite tasty or delicious. In other words, what God provided them was delicious. You can be sure whatever it is, it was delicious. That's the key thing. Although, as usual, when people, uh, when something is wrong on the inside, it shows up on the outside of everything, uh, how people function. Uh, we're going to eventually find, get to where they are complaining about this manner. The most perfect thing God gave to them, they're going to complain about it. It tastes is something quite delicious as we can see. So in any case, after the description of the manna, we are provided the instruction regarding its preservation for subsequent generations of the Israelites. Now this begins with Moses reporting to Israel of God's communication to him as we read in the first sentence of Exodus 16, verse 32, where we're starting. Look at verse 32. Exodus chapter 16, verse 32. It is, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Now Moses was certainly conscious of everything of conveying to Israel that whatever he communicates to them that requires their attention or action is from the Lord and not from him. Now this consciousness of Moses is one that those who teach the word of God should have. I mean, that those who teach the word of God should always be mindful that they are handling God's word. And so should be careful in their exposition of it. So I'm saying that those of us that teach the word of God should be extremely conscious that we are handling God's word and to do it in such a way to convey to the audience that it is not our opinion 
That's important. May the word of God that we labor to explain. That is so the teachers of the word of God are not the only ones to be very careful in handling God's word. But all believers who hear the word of God taught should be careful in how they listen. You should also be careful how you listen. They should approach hearing the word of God with great trepidation since it is to such individuals that approach the hearing of God's word with trepidation that God looks with favor as implied in Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2. Isaiah Chapter 66, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. It reads... Isaiah 66 verse 2 reads, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. Look at the next Bible phrase. And trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. Now that has to do with hearing. Now if you just you know, like I said, some of you, it just uh, you're just going through the emotion. You're not trembling at God's word. You just you go through emotion. Anyway, it is true here that in this context, the lost word is concerned with his word of judgment that will come to Israel instead of his general declaration. But such declaration of judgment though is still his word. So, anyone who hears the word of God fearfully will be a person that he shows his favor. If you hear his word fearfully, take it very seriously. Then he show you his favor. Of course, hearing the word of God fearfully means then to show great respect for it and reflect that respect through obedience of what is hard. So anyhow, we indicated that Moses was certainly conscious to convey to Israel that it is God's word that he brings to them whenever he instructs them to take an action or to pay attention to a given instruction. Now we say this because the sentence of the NIV of verse 32 that was taught in Exodus 16 reads again, This is what the Lord has commanded. Now literally the Hebrew reads, This is a word that Yahweh has commanded. 
Now the word word here is translated from a Hebrew word, the bar, that uh, may mean word, speech, as it is used in indicating that originally all people spoke the same language. As we read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Genesis chapter 11 verse 1 It is Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Now that phrase a common speech is more literally the same words. The same words. So, then, not thinking about accent, but that goes with it, but the fact that there are people all over this world that have different words for the same thing. To cause anyone who wants to doubt the Bible to know. You can't find an explanation for that. It's not an evolution thing where you say you're involved from one language. No, you don't. This is what God did. Communication is so powerful. Now that is one of the reasons I uh, encourage especially couples, husband and wife, to be very communicative to each other because it's a powerful tool. In other words, when I say communication, there are two sides to that. Saying what you want to say, listening to the other carefully. Those are the two parts of communication. You say what you want to say, but the other person you're communicating to must be willing to listen. If you're not listening carefully, you're not, you know, there's no communication. Now the problem is many times they will just to hear you, but they are formulating in their mind how to respond instead of knowing what you're saying first. So here is the thing, it is a powerful thing. Uh, human beings had just one language. So they understood each other. And that's why they became disobedient. When God said, go straight out, they said, no, we're not going to do that. And so God said, okay, I'll have the last word. And so that's why we have accents and that's why we have different languages. But anyway, that is the issue here in Genesis 11 verse 1. Now the Hebrew word uh, also may mean message. The Hebrew word debar may mean message, as the word is used to describe how to detect a false prophet, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22.
He reads, If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message, that's the Hebrew word, the bar, a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, do not be afraid of him. Now the Hebrew word can also mean matter, matter, as it is used in describing David's faithful devotion to the Lord, as stated in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. First Kings chapter fifteen verse five. First Kings chapter fifteen verse five reads For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. In other words, yes, David did everything to ensure he obeyed God's word, but he failed in that he committed adultery and murder. Those are the exceptions. So, the phrase, except in the case of Raya the Hittite, is more literally from the Hebrew, except in the matter. The matter of Uriah the Hittite. What matter? Again, like I say, his adulterous affairs and murder. Now, in our passage of Exodus 16, verse 32, the Hebrew word really means word in the sense of verbal command for action. Verbal command for action. Now to convey that what the Lord communicated to Moses is that which requires an action. Moses used a word that indicates a command from the Lord in the sentence that we're looking in Exodus 16 verse 32 where he said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Now that word commanded is translated from a Hebrew word that denotes the action of a superior stating something with authority or with force to a subordinate with the purpose of eliciting a response and so it may mean to order or to command. It is with the meaning to order that the word is used to describe the instruction of the priest to evacuate a house suspected of mildew before he goes in to inspect it, according to Leviticus chapter 14, verse 36. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 36. It is, the priest 
is to order the house to be emptied before he goes in to examine the mildew, so that nothing in the house will be pronounced unclean. After this, the priest is to go in and inspect the house. So the word here is translated to order. Now really, in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 32, the word simply means to command, that is to charge someone to do something. Now the Hebrew form, what's called PL, used in our passage, conveys the sense of what the Lord has caused to be done or caused to be carried out. Now the thing that is to be carried out, that also reflects that the Lord's communication to Moses requires an action on his part and the part of Israel, so to say, is given in the next expression of Exodus 16, verse 32. Look at what it says. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. Now the translation of the NIV implies that two actions are required of Moses as a leader of Israel. That the translation of the NIV is one of the ways our English versions render the Hebrew. Since literally the Hebrew reads, this is where literal Hebrew reads, fullness of Omer from it for keeping for your generations. Again, let me read that. Fullness of the Omer from it for keeping for your generation. Now this is because there is no word take in the Hebrew. It doesn't appear, that word take doesn't appear in the Hebrew. Now the first word used in the instruction of the Lord uh, Moses reported is a Hebrew word that may mean that which fills or that which makes full. Now when the word is used with the hand, it means handful, handful. As it is used in the sayings of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6. It reads, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. In other words, in that way, uh, it's, it's better to have little and be happy and be content to have a lot and be miserable. That's just a simple way to explain that. But we study that in detail. You can always go back there. But that's just simple. You know, it's better to have a very little and yet be as happy as it can come. Uh, somebody tells me, I have the richest person on the planet, even though I don't have much. That's what the person says. But that's because the person is content with what God has provided this individual. Anyway, in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 32, the Hebrew word has the sense of that which fills in or 
simple fullness. That is the condition of being filled to capacity. It is probably because of this meaning that some English versions, such as the New English uh, Translation, instead of the word take, using the NIV that doesn't appear in the Hebrew, uh, so that they use a different word that has to do with the sense of feel. So, a version like the New English Translation, this is the way they, they translated it. Feel an omen with it to be kept. Because they, they've given the Hebrew word that sense of that which feels. So they translate feel. Anyway, we've already noted that an omen is probably about two quarts or about two liters. That is between 3.4 to 3.9 pounds of dry measure. By the way, the quantity that the Lord commands Moses here to collect is the same quantity a person should eat daily. So it is a full day food ration that is to be preserved. Now be that then as he may, the manna to be collected as per the specific instruction given to Moses was for specific purpose as given in the verbal phrase of Exodus 16 verse 32 where it says, and keep it for the generations to come. Or literally, for keeping for your generations as we have indicated. Now this is because the literal translation for keeping is from a, is from really from two Hebrew words. Now the word is uh, the word for is translated from a Hebrew proposition that has several usages. For example, the word may mean may be used for, with the meaning on behalf of or a marker of persons benefited by an uh, event. So that in that case, it can be translated simply for as part of its translation. Of course, in our passage. It is really used to express purpose so that it's translated for. Now, the Hebrew preposition that we said is used to express our purpose is joined to a Hebrew noun that may mean injunction or requirement. As in the instruction, the Lord expects his covenant people to observe, as we read in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 30. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 30 it is keep my requirements that's the Hebrew uh, now use here it's translated requirements keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came. And do not defile yourself with them. 
Now, I know it's been a long time, but this is one of those passages that I focused when we studied idolatry to show we do not follow the pattern of the world around us. That's what God tried to make to Israel. When you go in there, they avoid their customs. So you can be different. But today, of course, uh, we Christians are just as much into the world as the world is into itself, so to say. Anyway, so that's why it says, keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Now the Hebrew word may mean the care of, the care of, as it is used to describe the duty or service of priests regarding the articles of the tent of meeting in Numbers chapter 3 verse 31. Numbers Numbers chapter 3 verse 31. It is they were responsible for the care of. That's the same Hebrew word that we say can mean injunction. It's the same Hebrew word that's used in our passage. So it reads, they were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of, of the sanctuary used in ministering the curtain, and everything related to their use. Now in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 32, the Hebrew word really has the sense of keeping, keeping. That is the act of retaining something. Hence, the full omer of manna Moses is to collect is for keeping or for preservation for future generation of the Israelites. Now this instruction implies then that the supply of the manna would, would one day stop once Israel entered Canaan. The fact that Moses was to keep this manna uh, as the Lord instructed him to collect the manna should of course remind us one more time of that blessing, which is that the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether the action is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Now you recall that the Lord had told them, don't keep it overnight. And when they did, he got feathers in it and started stinking. But now he, they have to preserve for generations. I mean, for years and years and years to come. The result is because God said, do it. The other time he said, don't do it. So, that should help us to understand again that lesson. Anyway, uh, so the, there is a purpose for the presentation of the manna as the Lord instructed Moses. Now, it is with this purpose that will begin 
our study next week. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us for the things that we have studied to continue to know, to bear in mind, to be those who have zeal for your word and to be always mindful that whatever results in what we do depends on whether we are obedient to your word. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.